Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. All right. I hope you guys have had a great night so far. Let's give a warm welcome to Sam as he comes so we can dig in the word. Hi. So some of you guys um, are prayer warriors. I know that because it's a large crowd and someone in here is. So earlier this week, I strained my voice. And the Chiefs weren't in the Super Bowl, so it wasn't during the Super Bowl. Yeah, facts. I am a, uh, a Chiefs fan, and thus I was rooting for the Bengals. What? Because as any good sports person will know, if you're going to lose, lose to the best team. So unfortunately, we lost to the second best team. Thanks a lot, the offensive line for the Cincinnati Bengals. So I say that to say, if you could, just say a little prayer, because I don't know how long this voice is going to last. I have no intentions of speaking all night, uh, but I do plan on trying to make it past five minutes. So if you could uh, just pray with me on that, I would uh, greatly appreciate it. So I'm going to introduce myself. Uh, My name is Sam. I'm an executive pastor at a little church in uh, Millville, New Jersey. Uh, If you're a baseball fan, that's a home of Mike Trout. And yes, they think that every t-ball player is going to be the next Mike Trout. We have 27, number 27, all over the city. We have uh, Angels jerseys all over the place. It is kind of a big deal. It's also the glass district of the East Coast. It used to be one of the most, uh, that used to be our thing, is making glass, particularly beakers for science labs. So that's pretty Uh, Awesome, and I have actually seen them make them, and it's about as thrilling as it sounds. So, uh, but if you make it up that way, I'll bring you over to the place and we'll get some nickel candy because that's why everyone goes there, anyways. uh, Before I really get going, I would love to introduce you guys to my wife who is unable to make it this weekend. So, we're just going to show you uh, a picture of her. Uh, She is actually right now at a jazz concert. You see uh, my wife and my two boys, uh, my son Tadden, who is a quarter inch taller than me at 17 years old, and then my younger son Javen, who is 14 and a half at six foot one, and will probably be taller than all of us. So yes, height does run in my family. I'm very proud. My son is in the jazz competition tonight, so I want to do like a dad thing, and I want to share with you the solo he had. My wife sent it to me. Now, to be fair, my wife is terrible at taking videos and pictures. I can say that because she's not here, Uh, but I do want to share a little bit with you, so I'm going to show it to you. You guys want to see it? All right. He is a trombone player. Okay, I'm sure that came over really well. Uh, super proud, Dad. That's, uh, thank you. I had absolutely nothing to do with it. All that talent came from my in-laws. Um, I, I've said this before, and they know it. My boys, though very tall, do not have a lot of athletic ability. Uh, I had visions when I had boys. I was super excited, and I know there's some dads sitting here doing the exact same thing. Because you're thinking, yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to do. We're going to be playing in basketball tournaments, like, for the rest of their life. Um, No. 
Uh, but they are playing in jazz bands, marching bands, and I love, love, love that life. I love jazz bands, jazz competitions. It is intense. So I told you I'm an executive pastor at a small church in Millville, New Jersey. Uh, I have, I just got promoted to that role. If you're asking what that means, that means I do everything I can so that the head pastor can do his job well. Uh, and we'll get into some of the more details of what that looks like. Uh, I'm also a certified uh, trainer. I do train people uh, at gyms. I have a couple guys that are trying to get really swole that I work with, but mostly my clientele is middle-aged women who want their cake and want to eat it too. So that's predominantly what we're doing is we're burning off yesterday's meal. I love sports, big time basketball fan, played ball in college, love it. I have no problem right now saying I am the best basketball player standing in this building right now and I can back it up. So I'm gonna just gonna put that out there. Uh, over COVID, I learned how to play tennis and I enjoy that, but maybe some old heads in here will appreciate this. I am now really into pickleball. If you don't know what it is, ask somebody. It is awesome. It is so good. It is a crazy amount of fun, and I strongly encourage you. If right now, I see people trying to explain it. It's like tennis, but it's not tennis. It's like, it's like ping pong, but it's not ping pong, and there's a kitchen. I'm like, whoa, yep. Exactly, exactly. It took me a while to learn how to play it to get into it. You're not allowed to go in the kitchen, right? It's not, it's not being like... It's not keeping the women out, it's not keeping the men out. No one's allowed in the kitchen except for a ball. That's it, end of story. If you need more details, Google it later or Bing it. I actually use Bing quite a lot. So this weekend you're gonna hear referred to quite a lot this phrase, kingdom tapestry. And we've already kind of dug into it and people are talking a little bit about it. I wanna kind of go into maybe a little bit more detail so we can expand upon this picture so that when we're referencing the tapestry, you have a reference point for it. So we look back into like the Middle Ages, think castles, think kings, think knights, like, and around that time, one of the things that kings would like to do to kind of show off their wealth and their power is they would commission an artist to make this beautiful painting, you know, either referencing something from the Bible or referencing a, a battle that they had just won or something grand that's going on there, they commissioned a painter to paint this painting. The next step to show how, uh, how big you are, how powerful you are, is to then take that painting and turn it into a tapestry. And essentially, there's a lot of weave and a lot of tying in. I think we have a picture um, here. This is, this, is entitled, this is titled The Tapestry of the History of Moses. It looks like a painting. Guys, that is thousands, if not millions, of individual strings, little strings, tied onto one continuous loop to create this tapestry. Really, it's a giant rug that you're not allowed to walk on, kind of like that one at Grandma's house in that room with the plastic on the couches. That's exactly what these are, but these would hang up in, uh, you know, on great grand display. These things could take decades generations of workers to put this thing together. What is kind of neat, I, I did some research and I found uh, some looms or, or uh, there's, a, there's a bigger name for it. But if you look at this picture, you see this, this string, this continuous, that is one string 
over and over and over and over again. It's just looped back and forth, back and forth, where all the little strings are then tied onto. In the colored picture here, you can kind of see there's a painting off to the left that they're working off of. They're trying to mimic that painting in this tapestry they're putting together. And on the right-hand side, in the black and white, you can kind of see uh, what it might have looked like back then as they're putting this whole thing together. So conceptually, if we're going to try to Jesus juke this a little bit, I'm going to bring it back. We're going to look at this continual string as being Christ. And we're going to look at the individual strings as being you and I, each one of us representing an individual string. And together we're forming this great, grand, beautiful picture that God has put together, that God has intended for his church. And when I mention church, we're not talking the individual churches that you're from, all four, there are five that are represented. We got the the big group up front here. Uh, we're not talking about your church. We're talking about the church as a global picture, the, the church as a whole, the one that Jesus came and formed and died for. And specifically, my, pers- my perspective on this, and someone might have a different thing, is when I look at this, that continuous string, that's Jesus. And the only time you're going to get tied into Jesus is when you take him as your personal Lord and Savior. So this is kind of the picture we're talking about. If you are here this weekend and this Jesus thing, it keeps popping up. I love the band. Like there's no, uh, you can't get around it. This, This weekend is about Jesus one way or another. If you know him as your personal Lord and Savior, we're hoping to enhance that. We're hoping to give you something uh, to, to, to fire you up so that Monday looks completely different than today looked. If you don't know him as your personal Lord Savior, you're trying to figure this thing out, hopefully we can get you to a point where you're asking the right questions and your leader will be able to draw you in. We look at the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. It says, it starts to describe exactly who we are. And he says, we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the word we're going to focus in on is workmanship. This word means creation. It means a work. And so now we have to go back. What is creation? You guys remember the beginning of the Bible. It literally starts in the beginning. The beginning of the Bible goes through creation. And we have to understand that in Genesis 1.27, it tells us that God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. But in order for us to fully grasp, to get a good idea, uh, to to grasp the concept, what it is to be tied together, we must understand that there is a great similarity that runs among all of us. And that is that each one of us was created in the image of God. Now, if I took a little bit of time walked around, and asked everyone what you think God looks like. We all know what he sounds like, right? He sounds like Morgan Freeman. It just has to be. It has to be. But if I ask you what he looks like, it's hard for us to get a clear picture of what God looks like, especially if I said he looks like us, and you look around, there's a whole lot of us, and we all look really different. You might think maybe he looks like the Simpsons cartoon where he's got a big long beard and he wears a big robe and has giant hands and giant feet and walks around that way. Maybe that's our image of God. So we, I want to, tonight, we're just going to kind of focus on what does it mean to be in the image of God. And I'm going to share with you an idea. This might not be in concrete. There's nothing in concrete, but I think it makes sense. It's worth having a conversation. And I want you guys to kind of walk along with me. There are 
three parts. Our body is made up of three parts. We're going to look at the body, the soul, and the spirit. And each one of these has a very important function when it comes to our day-to-day, when it comes to our life. But the first one, and probably the easiest one to identify, is our body. If we look at the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul actually calls our body the temple. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and the spirit dwells in you? The body is simply our outer shell that holds the essence of who we are. And our physical bodies are very important to God. I could go on and on. I could go on and on what what it is to take care of this body that God has given to you. That if you take care of your body, you'll be able to do more to honor God. And that kind of really struck me three or four years ago. I went through my own personal life change. That's part of my mission when I do uh, training on the side, is everything we do is to honor and glorify God but we're not going to spend too much time on that. But our bodies are really, really important to God. And I want you to look at this. When we look through all of creation, remember what God had to do to make things happen? What did he do? Say it. Someone Just say it. He spoke. He said, dog. Boom. Dog showed up. He said, cat. Cat showed up. Platypus, this weird thing that looks like a duck and a beaver showed up. That's all he had to do was speak, and it came into existence. And then at the end of the day, after he did a little bit of talking, this thing showing up, this thing showing up, and at the end of the day, what did he say? It is good. But something happened, something different happened when it came to man, when it came to putting Adam together. Something super special happened. And this is where we have to really start to recognize we're different than the rest of creation. There's something super special about mankind. And God took time and literally got his hands dirty. If you look at Genesis 2, the Lord formed a man of dust from the ground. He, I can see this picture like he's shaping. Ten fingers, ten toes. Like he's building and, and molding this person. He's intimately involved in shaping this out. He didn't say man and man showed up. He put this thing together. And then he takes it a step further and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then man became a living creature. God has taken his time. He's he's molding us, shaping us. And when he was done, he breathed into us. That sets us so far apart from all of other creation. But to be made in God's image, it's more than the physical. And the Bible is clear that God is a spirit. He's not a physical thing. Look at John chapter 4. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So if we look at the second element, I want you to kind of work with me on this one. The second element, we have body. The second element is soul. And the soul, we kind of look at it in broad strokes, maybe like the seat of our emotions. This is where our anger, our love, our hate, our, our, our calmness, this is where all this comes from. If you think about like a great singer or if I was at my, uh, my son's concert, you listen to like a, a beautiful singer, you say, man, they sang with great soul or they sang from the heart. And, you know, you get that just, mm, that dirty face, like, oh, they're so good. Mm, it's just this beautiful thing coming out there. And you can tell when someone is just singing 
or they're singing with soul. When, uh, when we were singing earlier, I was so blessed to be in the back of the room because you guys got to listen to these guys. I got to listen to them and the back of the room. Just people who are just like, they're just, mm, they were just singing and loving on God through those songs. That would have been bad. There's a tablet on here too. That would have been really bad. I would have blamed you. So coming from the inside of us, the soul, this is, this is, a, like, this is where our emotions and our feelings and all this kind of stem from. Recently, um, I, was, I was at my alma mater a couple weeks ago. Uh, There's a ceremony taking place, kind of a big deal. I won't go into the details of it, but I do know I was having some family come in to be able to celebrate with me. It was a really cool thing. And as the week starts to progress, I start to figure out who's coming to this thing with me. Like, my wife can't come because she works on Saturdays. My children can't come because, you know, it's sports-related. They don't care. So uh, I'm, I'm going to this thing alone. So I start calling up my college buddies say, hey, we're going. We're doing this thing. Come with me. They're coming down. So it's going to be me and a couple of my old roommates from about 20 years ago when I graduated college. About halfway through the week, I start to catch wind. My wife, I think, is lying to me. Because I start talking about like my dad or my brothers, and she gets this weird, she's not a good liar, she isn't, she's not good at all. So I start to gather that someone's going to surprise me. So I said, hon, you, you can tell me, tell me whatever you want to tell me. If you don't want to tell me, it's fine, but someone's coming, right? She said, yeah, but I'm not going to tell you who. It's my dad, right? And I'm trying to figure out why is my dad coming down? It's not worth it for all that stuff. So I called her out. It was my dad. Then a couple days later, we get to, uh, I'm going to the airport. We get to go to the airport because I'm dropping her sister off at the airport. Drop her off, and then my wife goes, we have to go back through arrivals and pick up your dad. I knew my dad was coming. So as we navigate going through the Philadelphia airport, the arrivals, if you've ever been through Philadelphia airport, it is the absolute worst airport that there is. I've been in a few. It is terrible. But I'm driving through the arrivals, and you know how it is. All the cars are pulling over, picking up their people. I'm trying to find my dad in the midst of the crowd. I'm driving through. I'm like, that guy looks like that's not him. That guy looks like that's not him. Meanwhile, trying not to hit the car that's in front of me. Then I look out the corner of my eye, and I see a person that looks a lot like my brother. And then I did that, one of those, like, as I'm driving, it was my brother. My brother, I hadn't seen my brother in years. He lives out in Chicago. I hadn't seen him in such a long time. Let me tell you the feeling, even now I'm getting chills, the feeling and emotion of seeing my brother poured out from my soul. And I stopped the car right in the middle of this, I should be all the way to the right. I'm not. I'm more to the left. I stopped because I want to get out and I want to hug him. I want to grab him. I want to celebrate this moment with him. But then the cop came and said, we can't do that right here. So I threw my brother in and we had to go along and I had to stop at Wawa later on and, and celebrate and hug. But that feeling coming inside, that was from the soul. This feeling of love and excitement. I hadn't seen him in so long. And he surprised me. Short story, my dad didn't come. So we're not talking. Um, no, <laughs> just kidding. It was, uh, my wife actually turned out to be a very good liar. So that's unfortunate. <laughs> but that love you feel, that love, like it, it, a friend you haven't seen in so long, and you get the opportunity to see them or talk to them, that's coming from the soul. That's a deep, inward 
feeling. This is your physical expressions, the things that are coming out. That's, this is all coming from our soul. But our relationship with God has to be much, much more than just soul and feelings. I, I do a lot of weddings now. I'm at that point, and uh, some of the other youth leaders might be there too. I don't know how seasoned some of you are where the, the kids you had and now grown up and they found somebody, they're, they're coming to you, can you marry us? And it's such a weird feeling watching this kid that still looks like that little seventh grader that just walked into your group and they're getting married. You're like, what in the world? But one of the things I go through when I say counseling is like, I was like, do you love her? Yeah. I was like, do you feel like you love her? Yeah. And I said, will you choose to love her when you don't feel like loving her? Because it has to be so much more than a feeling. It has to be a choice. It has to be a decision, something that we do. God, God's love for us is far beyond feelings. God, God has um, an immense passion for each of us. Scripture tells us in Hebrews 13, where God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God doesn't deal with emotions and feelings. He deals with absolutes. He's saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. And if you guys are like me, every now and then you make mistakes, mistakes that feel like they're unforgivable. God says through that, I will never leave you nor forsake you. First John tells us that if we are faithful and just, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. It's beyond feeling. It's, these are promises. These are commitments. These are absolutes. These are verses that we should commit to memory so you know them at all times. God's image can't rest in the soul. So God's image is not in our body. God's image is not in our soul because our soul is driven by feelings, by emotions. God's image, therefore, lies in our spirit. This is something that is not found in any other creation. If anyone have a pet, have a dog? Everyone have a dog that he's done something, you know, he knows he's guilty? Get that look? Yeah, your dog feels guilty. My dogs are, I don't know what's going on with them now. I have two of them. They're little Yorkie mixes. Um, love them, hate them all at the same time. They have this habit now of getting into the trash in the bathroom, because I guess that's the one they can reach. So you come home, if you don't close that door, there's just like tissues and stuff just spread all throughout the house. They're not eating it, they're just tearing it apart and proving that they're powerful, I guess. But when you come home and you see it, and you say their name, Buster, guilt. Yeah, his name's Buster, we should have named him something else, because he is a Buster. So animals, they can get these feelings and emotions, right? Your dog loves you, right? Your cat tolerates you. Proverbs 20, 27, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. Fundamentally, guys, we are spirits. This is a shell. Our bodies are a shell. Our soul is a way we express ourselves. But the spirit, the spirit is what drives this thing. We are spirits. When we speak of our bodies, we speak in possessive terms. But who's possessing it? Like when you hurt, you say, my knee hurts. Or when your feelings are hurt, my feelings are hurt. It's all this 
personal stuff. Who is it that is actually possessing that that is your spirit? Jesus told the woman at the well, God is spirit. John 4, excuse me, John, God is spirit. Those who worship most worship in spirit and in truth. God is telling this woman at the well, what we have in common with God is we are spirits. When we truly worship God, it happens on a spiritual level. We're not carried away by the emotions of our soul. Uh, it might be a great expression of our worship. Physically, we might raise our hands or someone jumping around in circles over here, clapping, shouting. But these are all expressions of what's happening in our spirit. The cool thing is our spirits will exist without these bodies. Jesus told his disciples after his resurrection in Luke 24, to see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Young men, young women, when you die, your spirit, when your body dies, your spirit will go on living. And this is why we're here this weekend. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, when your body dies, your spirit will go into the presence of the Lord and eventually, eventually will be reunited with your body at the time of resurrection. You're going to spend eternity with God. If you have not taken Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, at death, your body will decay and your spirit will go into eternal separation from the presence of God. This is why your youth leaders have brought you here this weekend, to make sure that you know where you stand on the eternal picture. So when we talk about being made in the image of God, we're not talking about what our body looks like. We're not talking about how our soul expresses itself. We're talking about our spirit. We're made in the image of God. And remember, when God created at the end of the day, he said, it is good. But when he made man, when he breathed, when he molded him out of dirt, when he breathed his own breath, he said, it is very good. This is what it is to be special, to be created in the image of God. And we're going to explore some more avenues as the weekend progresses. But we want to set that baseline of our image. We are all created in the image of God. When we talk about interacting with each other, you're interacting with someone that is made in the image of God. And I hope that influences how you interact with each other. I appreciate your attentiveness. If I see you this weekend, if you see me, say hi. Come up and introduce yourself. I'm game for that. Tell me your name. I will forget it. You could probably come up to me four or five times this weekend, and we'll still have the same first conversation. It's not that I don't think any less of you. It's just I struggle with names and with all these faces. It makes it very difficult for me. But it is nice to see your face. That's a win, right? Will you guys pray with me? Father God, we thank you for intentionally breathing life into us. And it's such a neat and awesome feeling, God, to see these young men and young women who are here. They're here for fun. They're here for worship. They're here for you. 
God, may this be a weekend where they are just blown away with your presence, that we understand to truly worship. We're going to worship you, yes, with expressions through our bodies, through our soul, but ultimately, God, we want to connect spirit to spirit. We are honored to be a part of this great uh, tapestry that you have in store for us, God. May you be honored in all things that take place. Your great holy name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.